0: Hey friends, just a quick reminder before we jump into today's episode that The Nugget is now on YouTube. We have picked some of our favorite moments from the podcast and turned them into four to eight minute long videos. Now you can see some of the best clips from the podcast with never before seen content. I'm really, really excited about this. I think it's going to be super cool. It seems like you guys are already loving the nugget on youtube since we just launched at the beginning of february for the month of february we are doing a raffle with some of my favorite brands who support the podcast and we're giving away a free training bundle worth more than 300 dollars. all you have to do is subscribe to the youtube channel that's it it's super easy there's no catch you will automatically be entered to win A free training bundle that includes a free kilo of chalk and a brush and a taco skin sander from Chalk Cartel, a free hangboard from Frictitious Climbing, and you'll win some of my favorite skincare products from Rhino Skin Solutions to keep your skin in tip-top shape for your training and rock climbing. Once again, all you have to do to enter the raffle is subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's that simple, it's free, it'll take you 10 seconds. You can do it right now. Just scroll down right there in your podcast app and you can find a link that will take you over to YouTube and tap that subscribe button. Or you can go to youtube.com slash atthenuggetclimbing. Make sure you include that at symbol. The deadline is February 28th, so nine more days, including today. But do it now while you've got your phone handy and while you're thinking about it. All right. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens. When did I start taking Athletic Greens? About a year and a half ago. I love it. I've been taking it ever since. I sip on it first thing in the morning while I make my coffee. It has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine As all of you know, I prioritize eating whole foods when it comes to my nutrition. I really feel better when I eat quality food. But when you live on the road, getting high quality food can be tough, especially in remote climbing areas. One scoop of Athletic Greens has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. If I take Athletic Greens in the morning, I know I'm covered, and I love that. To make your decision easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. I have had a lot of great conversations lately on the podcast, and one thing that keeps coming up again and again when it comes to getting better at climbing is consistency. It's that simple. There's no magic hangboard program or bouldering routine that's gonna get you super duper strong in just a few weeks. The key to making lasting gains in your strength and your climbing technique is consistency. Just climbing or training regularly for years and years, but consistency is hard. If you have kids or you live in a city or you work a nine to five job or all of the above, you only have evenings free to train and you have to compete with crowds at the gym, it can be really hard to stick to a consistent schedule. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper Climbing designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper Board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home. And the best part, they did such a good job with the hold shaping and layout that the Grasshopper Board will be right for you whether you are a beginner or you climb V15. It's so efficient, it's so good for training. Most importantly, it's so much fun to climb on but don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper, they just want you to try it out and see for yourself. So if you wanna learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Check out their boards and reach out to their sales team to see which board solution is right for you. And be sure to tell them that you heard about the grasshopper board from the Nugget Climbing Podcast, because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, my dear listeners, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8 by 10 foot grasshopper board. $500 or even more if you upgrade to a larger board. Again, that is grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the grasshopper board. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition with more than 40 professional climbers now using Fizzy Vantage products daily to support their training and climbing performance. Many of those names are people I've had on this show, and there's a reason why they're all taking FizzyVantage. Visit FizzyVantage.com to learn more about their many innovative research-based nutrition products and supplements, including their revolutionary supercharged collagen. I love this stuff. It's really hard to get enough collagen or the ideal amount of collagen in your diet. And if you're a climber, you probably need more than the average person. I just recovered from an injury. I partially tore my bicep tendon back in December and collagen has been super, super helpful in my recovery process. My PT has been really surprised at how quickly I've made progress. And I think sticking to a good PT routine plus collagen has been incredibly helpful. I think that's been the recipe anyway. Supercharged Collagen, I love it. They also have the performance-boosting Endure-X and their delicious protein supplements, Weapons Grade Whey, and the plant-based PowerPlex. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's NUGGET15 at checkout, or you can use the direct link to this coupon right there in your podcast app. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Jeannie Wall. Jeannie co-founded a company called Broad Beta with her friend, Leslie Gaines Germain, with the goal of cultivating a community for women and genderqueer folk to openly and honestly share their stories of outdoor adventure in the mountains, including helpful gear, food, and tactical tips, and the emotional and physical challenges unique to women and genderqueer climbers, backcountry skiers, and other outdoor activists. I'm reading this off of the Broad Beta website because it's awesome. And I'm gonna go ahead and read Jeannie's bio from the website as well. Jeannie Wall is a world-class skier and has been an ultra runner for decades. Currently, she is obsessed with climbing in all of its forms, which is why she's here on the podcast. In her early fifties, she began to realize some of her biggest dreams, like climbing Fitzroy in Patagonia and the nose on El Capitan in Yosemite with great women partners. And she still loves to backcountry ski. And now she has taken some of her passion and focus into actively caring about the world and inspiring women to be their true selves. And that is a lot of what we talked about in our episode today. We talked about all those things. It was super fun to get to know Jeannie. One of her nicknames is the Energizer Bunny. She comes from a background of Nordic racing and ski mountaineering and has transitioned to more rock climbing. And one of her challenges is slowing down and resting in the name of climbing harder. And that was something that we talked about in this episode as well. Anyway, I really enjoyed this episode with Jeannie. And without further ado, here she is. And I hope you enjoy. I want to start by outlining what i have in mind for the conversation and then you know i kind of have like a but first we need to talk about this topic. So just to give people an idea of what I'm excited to talk to you about today, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I think of you as primarily as a mountain endurance athlete. I don't know if that's how you would describe your background, but I think it'd be really interesting to hear uh, at least some of that story and your background as an athlete and your love for the mountains. Um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about how you eventually transitioned into more rock climbing and what lessons you've been able to bring with you from all your years of Nordic skiing and uh, ski mountaineering and ultra running and things like that. And then I think we'll make our way towards mentorship and all the things that you're doing with Broad Beta. So that's kind of what I have in mind for a, a rough outline. But first, the youngest of 11 children, is that true? Are you the youngest of 11 children? I just learned that or was reminded of that this morning listening to uh leslie's interview on your podcast and um i have so many questions but yeah but yeah am i getting that fact right
1: yes i'm a recovering catholic (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's a great way to put it
1: yeah yeah the youngest of uh i mean basically post-world war ii baby boom family that was you know good irish catholics and uh my parents were probably either going to go into convents or monasteries or have as many kids as they possibly
0: could. Right.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually Gen X, not Baby Boom, but the rest of my family probably fits into that. So yeah, I was kind of survival of the fittest in my family. It was a little bit of um, chaos. <laughs> so,
0: I imagine it was. I I have so many questions, like I said, and the first... The first most tempting question, I think I'm not going to ask because I think it's a really bad question. But, I, you know, when I learned that, I immediately wanted to know what was that like? Like, that's just so different from my upbringing and so interesting to me. But I actually just listened to a different podcast the other day and someone, the host asked a very similar question to someone who came from a large family. And they were like, look, I mean, it's just normal. If that's what you grew up with, however you grow up is normal to you, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't really that interesting of a question. Um, So I want to ask you this, when was the first time that you realized that your upbringing was different from most people? Did you have a moment where that kind of clicked for you?
1: Well, I think it, it hit me hardest when I had a, a very close, you know, call it my best friend in college who I moved into an apartment with, I think sophomore year. And she, you know, we got along. Famously, she worked at the climbing shop that I did, and we decided, well, let's try to be roommates for a year in college. She was an only child. And moving in with her, I started to reflect on all of these behaviors in myself that I recognized as as just being innate because of growing up in this large family, and a large family that wasn't... Touchy feely, right? It was really survival um, to a degree. And she grew up in this environment as an only child where she never had to worry about hiding the cereal box when her mom got home from the grocery store she'd never get her favorite cereal. You know, I mean, she never worried about like getting enough food off the table or having opportunities or you know, what which hand-me-downs she didn't want to get, but you know, she'd rather have be able to buy or whatever. So, but also it was, so it became tense in some ways um, because we really related to the world differently Mm. and we, we sorted it out, but we went through some rough, rough moments. And I think in, you know, in hindsight, I learned later what baggage I carried with me from growing up in a large family and what benefits I carried with me. And to this day I still work on the baggage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but there were, you know, there were a lot of benefits too. And there still are. Obviously, I have tons of siblings helping with my my mother who's still still alive. And uh, you know, I know I can turn to them even if they're dysfunctional or I'm dysfunctional or you know, we don't get along perfectly. So it's it was very interesting though. It's 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 sort of like you said, you just think, oh, that's just the way it is. And it's a little akin to what's going on today, I think, with all of the things that we went through during COVID that have, have awakened us to a lot of the issues that we need to deal with better in, in this society. Which is, we we look at the world through our lens and we think that's just how it is. That's mm. the reality. And of course, today it's like, no, that's not necessarily reality, right? Or what reality should be, right? Right. And and you, you know, even today, I'm working on not. Gosh, actually. I want to see the world through a different lens so that I have more empathy or more compassion or, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really, it's really different because you are just used to all this feedback when you're in a big family, right? Constant feedback. You don't really want it. (laughs) And then you start giving.
0: (laughs) Oh, funny. Of course. (laughs) Dishing it right back. Would you be willing to share examples of, baggage and benefits, one or two of each, that that come to mind or that were big realizations for you later in life?
1: Yeah, I mean, benefit-wise, it's, like I said, just having having siblings. Like, I know people who are only children or just have one sibling. When anything goes wrong in your family, it's like, whoa, you're it, right? You have to be there. You, you take on this huge burden if your parents get sick or you have no, or worse, you have no one to turn to, right? You're just alone in the world. And I don't, I don't know what that's like. As much as I don't get along with some of my siblings or, or do get along, but we're really different. They're, most of my family's still kind of conservative Midwest folks, but not all of them. I still am really grateful they're there. We all would be there for each other. Hmm. So that's kind of huge, right? I'd say the baggage is we grew up, my parents weren't, they didn't, they probably should never have gotten married they would both admit that today. you know, And so I grew up with a lot of friction and tension in my family and that, that trickled down to all of us. And so we grew up really competitive with each other or just competitive for their love or competitive for resources that we didn't have, which I think I came out of the womb pretty much someone who was going to be an athlete. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that competitiveness in my family probably contributed to the pros and cons of, of who I became as an athlete.
2: So, mm-hmm.
1: you know, I, I learned early that I had to survive on my own, that I needed to kind of figure out the world and take care of myself and be strong, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that was also driven into us by a pretty controlling father who wanted us to be independent but Mm. but so yeah that was the pros you know so i i'm still battling being competitive i don't want to be competitive with my friends especially in a climbing situation more than anything but when i was racing as an endurance athlete nordic racing running biking whatever it was hugely helpful
0: Mm, sure yeah
1: i had that i as that dogged determination to just want to i wanted to win i wanted to wanted
0: to go as hard as I could yeah yeah I, I would love to dig into that a little bit more deeply and just hear if that's something that you miss these days I don't actually know if that's still a part of your life if you're still doing any, any sort of racing or competing um, but I want to start I want to kind of work our way there from this question how would you describe the chapter of life you're in now um, what feels important to you or what are you focused on right now in your life
1: the quick answer would be trying to give back more than take from the world. But that sounds so cliche and and like I'm just trying to be this good person. I mean, I'm still taking plenty. You know? and, and we can all relate to that as climbers, as we know, it's a really personal thing. Um, but also it's, it's a chance to, for me in this time, to, like I said, look at the world through a different lens and be more reflective and more compassionate. And for me, the biggest thing I never learned growing up in that family was patience. <laughs> and I'm an incredibly impatient person, as all my friends would attest to. <laughs> and, you know, as much as I try, it's still really hard for me. But, um, But yeah, I mean, I think in 30 years in the outdoor industry, working in all of that time in sports and, and, you know, endurance and climbing, it's really challenging still for me to take the time and want to help other people experience things that that people took time to help me with, right? Um, I mean, I remember all the, some of those firsts of like someone taking me out in the backcountry skiing or, you know, climbing multi-pitch or whatever, but. I think broad beta is that for me right now, is a chance to, to really sort of open my eyes to all of the different needs out there for women and genderqueer and those of us on the margins and how, how we've evolved, but how we're still evolving and how much room there is to still, to still support each other and and change our culture because mm. there's still a lot of change that's needed. So it's a bit roundabout, but
0: yeah. No that's great thanks for thanks for sharing that um, and I'm curious if you missed the competition part of things you and i we we talked in November we had a nice long conversation and got to know each other better and you told me, I don't know if we have uh, enough time here today to to kind of share your whole athletic history um we can we certainly can talk about it um but I, you told me this gripping story about being a Nordic ski racer and missing the Olympic team by one spot you know, and, and some of the lessons you learned from that, the ski politics involved in racing and shifting to randonnée racing. And does that still hold a place for you, for you in, in your life? Or are you still a competitor? Do you miss being a competitor? What does that look like for you these days?
1: No, <laughs> a really easy. Long answer. question, no.
0: short answer. Great.
1: No, 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 the no, you're not short...
0: doing it. No, you don't miss it, but like no to both All of those. Of the... Okay. All of the above. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, the short answer is that Olympic trials was in Anchorage. I was 26. I'd done five races in my life, Nordic. I had no opportunities to be on a team or be coached or anything else. I was just working in a ski shop and friends, you know, I got psyched to try skate skiing and <clears throat> got into it and jumped in a few races and... Getting to the trials is is easy. They take anyone. But I'll never forget, like I was running around this Nordic track, racing, freezing cold in Anchorage, Kincaid Park. It's right on the ocean. And I was looking up at Denali and I was like, what am I doing down here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hadn't even done any alpine climbing yet. It was quick to come into my life after that. But I, even then I was like, I... I should be up there. Right. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have the opportunities yet. And even though I didn't have a lot of opportunities in Nordic in those trials races, um, I, I, I somehow got lucky. You know, I took a couple of sixth place finishes. There was an article in the paper because no one knew who I was. And, and I was like ninth at the end of the the trials and they took eight, eight women on the team and, oh. and it wasn't like i deserved to go god i hadn't i hadn't put in my time like many of those women had been racing since they were five or something you know um i kind of got lucky but then i was really quickly awakened to the politics because just through the grapevine the message to me was you're already too old to to train you know here i was wow. i've done five races i almost make the team and the in the us team is like nope sorry we're not interested in you you know you're not one of us right you're too old
0: at um, uh, 26 thank
1: yeah thank god today they have finally freaking woken up a little bit to the fact that women are fastest in endurance when they're in their late 20s early 30s and those are the women you know getting us medals in the olympics now right but no i <clears throat> i have no desire to compete i i I, it's interesting. I mean, I, that's all I wanted to do when I had so much energy before, but it took me forever for climbing to take hold. We, you and I chatted about this. It's like I always loved it, but I think I was just always scared of the falling or, I don't know, putting myself out there. And I never understood how to put myself into climbing in a way that I felt totally exhausted. Like that's so easy to do when you go out on your Nordic skis or what I call the misery sticks now.
0: <laughs> the misery sticks. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: um, you know, or yeah. if I go out ski skiing, which I do a lot of still, it's so easy to exhaust myself. But I didn't understand how, to, how that pushing my limit in climbing, you know, how to, if I climbed something hard enough or if I'd actually known about projecting or anything else like that, I would have felt more fulfilled and it would have grabbed me earlier. Mm. so i so i loved it but i would always i'd go climb and then i'd go for a run or i'd climb and i'd go for a ski or i'd you know it wasn't enough because i wasn't really i didn't find a place to push hard enough with it
0: right Um, right
1: so no i have no desire to compete now i just wish i'd i wish i'd found the fulfillment i find now in climbing years earlier and quit Mm. racing earlier because there's so many so many places i want to go and so many partners I want to climb with and experiences I want to have with climbing that at my age, I still have time, but, you know, physically, obviously, it's not going to be a lot longer left when I feel like I can actually get stronger. Mm.
0: <laughs> how, how old are you? You're 54. Is that right? Five. 55. Okay. <laughs> Five. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of hard to believe, honestly, because...
0: Yeah. I mean, mostly
1: now I spend my time with younger fo- younger climbing partners, and and have plenty of friends my age, but they're not necessarily climbers as much. And so I don't really think about it, you know. And it, and you hit fifty as a women, woman, and it's true you do. I wrote about this in that menopause and climbing article. You you do kind of become invisible, but it's a gift because if you just stop looking in the mirror, you also just sort of forget, and then you don't really care what people think anymore, and you're. You know, when you asked where where I'm at in this stage of life, it's letting go of all of that energy that I put into how I looked or my body composition or all of that stuff as as women that we kind of more often put energy into. That's such a waste. It's such a gift to try to let go of that and just Mm. go, whoa, this is what I've got. You know, use it and share it and live it and and enjoy the experiences of it and forget about all the aesthetic stuff that tortures, tortures us as I think more as women probably, but not, mm. not you know, we're not alone in that for sure.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. And I mean, it it's interesting. Um, I'm 33 and I feel like, you know, the last decade of my life has just flown by. So I have to imagine that, you know, reaching my mid fifties, um, it's gonna happen in a blink and I'll look back at it. like, how the hell did that happen? So I can I can already, you know, kind of relate to that uh, sentiment. At the same time, you might have a lot more time than you think. You know, I'm hanging out here in Waco with Chuck and Maggie Odette. I think Chuck is like sixty seven and i I could be wrong about this. I'll need to fact check myself, but I think he's done all of his hardest routes in his 60s and he's still pushing up against some of his hardest that he's ever done and and trying some you know, projects in Maple that he's had forever and things like that. So, you know, and he's just out yeah. there, like he's, he's they're living in a camper and I see them doing yoga on rest days out on their little mat and Chuck's doing his like Taekwondo or whatever that he does and super fit, still sharp as a tack, you know, getting after it here in Waco, bouldering. And I'm just like, I would be so happy if I was still doing this at 67. It's so cool. For
1: sure, <laughs> yeah. Me do. And there are lots of amazing examples and such great inspiration out there and and information right right now we have so much more information of how to take care of ourselves and i mean that's the ideal is that you still have your health you worked through the crazy surgeries you know i mean i had four in a row at age 40 oh. three shoulders and a knee and Oof, man and then you learn what to do with pt and yoga and your diet and and then it's kind of like okay if i can just kind of be careful. My biggest crux is taking enough rest days, which I'm not very good. <laughs> like I'm, this is great because I'm completely torched. You know, so, I'm so happy just to sit down today. <laughs>
0: that's that's good. That's good timing. What did you do yesterday, or in the in the days leading up to this?
1: Oh, uh, you know, I was on this ski hut trip, and I, I, in fact, I'm with a bunch of friends my age, and <clears throat> they're all kind of crushers. They love to go out for eight hours a day, and we tour, you know, seven eight thousand feet a day. And wow drove 12 hours home and, uh, went out on these mixed climbs and just thrashed myself <laughs> three days in a row. Cause of course I was like, I need to go climbing <laughs> and now I can barely move.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's good for me. Good for me. I'll get, I'll get at least an hour out of you before you feel antsy and have to go do something. Um, <laughs> I am curious to hear what finally, captured you as far as climbing goes, because your story makes a lot of sense. Like you talk about growing up and and struggling with patience. And of course, you know, especially nowadays, we see so many stories of ways to have the type of experience in climbing that you sought out in Nordic and these other mountain sports, you know, like doing big enchainments and climbing and, you know, how much can you climb in 24 hours? That's like the new game that everyone's playing. And I don't know if that, maybe that wasn't on your radar as much 20 years ago, it certainly wasn't on mine. So maybe that's why it took time to to see yourself in climbing. What was it that finally captured you? I, I have a note in front of me. I wonder if this ties in. It just, <laughs> I, I wrote myself a very cryptic note. It says injuries, and then there's an arrow to the right, and then it says rehab, and then an arrow to the right, and it says strength training, and then an arrow to the right, and it says rock climbing. That It's like, that's your path. Um, <laughs> is, it, is that how you got into rock climbing? Was it through an a, through a series of no no
1: no I mean I learned to rock climb when I was like 17 or 16 the first day out in devil's lake when I was working at a ski and climbing shop no I always dabbled in it I always liked it um so a couple things none of those events were happening when I was full of all my endurance energy right but still liked climbing I think if they had been out there I might have found them instead of some of the endurance racing that I went after
0: you mean like the in a day stuff the enchainments yeah stuff like that. The linkups
1: all, the, all that stuff right I think of that and I'm like yeah that would have been so cool because once I left Nordic and went to randonnée ski mo racing I was like oh my god why did I waste so much time in Nordic I'm like <laughs> this is so much more exciting you know I get to actually be in the mountains and ski down crazy couloirs and boot up these ridges as part of a race. Hey, you know, so it's just a controlled enchainment type mm-hmm. thing.
0: Schemo is ski mountaineering for people listening, in case you're not in case you don't know that abbreviation. I had to look that up, which I'm embarrassed to to say, but after I talked to you the first time, I was like schemo. And then a quick Google and I was like, oh my gosh. Face palm. Well
1: we used to just call it rondonet racing and then all of a sudden it becomes ski mountaineering racing and then it's schemo racing. <laughs> I know it's funny. No, I think I think that might have happened, but Still, I think the climbing that I now feel more fulfilled with is, is the, you know, not projecting per se, but the puzzling out of a harder route and actually, you know, there's routes here I've looked at my whole life and never thought I could do and, you know, mixed climbs in in high life. And I'm finally, I'm finally looking at them like, yeah, of course I can do that. You know, and so and mixed
0: is so, in ice dry tooling. That's what I mix. Okay, it,
1: yeah. I mean, they're just harder things that I never had the mental kind of confidence, more than physical, to actually launch on and try, and and then you know realizing that you don't have to get something the first or second try for it to be worthy of your attempts. Right. I mean, if you you can make a million tries. All that said, I, I do want to add find it so challenging in my head to look at where climbing has gone in terms of the speed stuff. Because for me, I look at that having come from all of this endurance background, right? And I'm like, go find a race, you know, a sort of a controlled environment with an finish line to go do that in. Instead of all of this Strava... Like I do, I'm I feel bad for people in this position a little bit because it's like there's no finish line in climbing comps, right? So everybody who loves climbing, who who like me at a certain age has all this energy and and you know maybe more talent and wants to push themselves has to create the game. Hmm. Has to create the competition.
0: Right, like the nose the speed record on the nose or the speed record yeah. on whatever it is, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the 24 hour thing, at least has a kind of a finish line, right? So there is sort of an end, end game to that, but they have to kind of create that to get all that energy out. Like I did, I did it in a competitive fixed format. And in a way I look back and I'm kind of grateful because now climbing for me is not competitive. And I, and it's such a bigger thing for all of us, I think for, for well, Climbing can be such a bigger thing in terms of it's cultural, it's community, it's partnerships, it's wilderness experiences, it's spiritual experiences, right? If we're into the alpine or, or alpine rock or um, not just this this sort of sport indoor side of it, which nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. It's just like I consider that kind of like what you love to do, bouldering, sort of a different sport <laughs> because, you know, it's just not not my realm. But um, but i'm just grateful for me that i you know i look back and i think that would have been really fun and then i look back and i go oh, maybe i'm actually really grateful that i did it i got that energy out in fixed
0: in oh i see what you're saying yeah
1: right and and now climbing for me isn't competitive and mm. i don't worry about i don't i don't even look at those things and even get excited about them mm. like i have no no desire to go out and and try to do really fast stuff in that and in that sense, like if I would go Alpine climbing, I want to be fast and effective and safe. Speed is safety, but not speed for speed's sake. Right? Got it. I don't have, yeah. none of my goals have, are related to doing something faster than, than anyone else gotcha. that's already been done. It's more just the quality of, quality of the climbing mm-hmm. climb suit. For, for me at this stage, I will say, going back to what you said, injury wise, Yes, I think I had those four surgeries, and then I, I also got swine flu, which a lot of folks don't remember, was a virus they thought would go viral the way COVID did. And it hit folks in their 40s because the stronger your immune system was, the more it was apt to flip and and attack and, oh. um, itself. And so the people who died from swine flu were actually my age group in their 40s at the time. They were the ones in the ICUs who who died and it didn't go crazy. Right. Um, but those of us who got it and got it pretty badly, I ended up with two years of chronic fatigue. I mean, I remember wow. skinning, no way. skinning uphill afterward thinking I was over it. Like, Oh, it's just a flu. I'm just tired. I'm, I'm better. Although so, so I'd be skinning uphill and literally want to just like pull off and take a nap. I could barely walk uphill. And when it hit me, I could, I couldn't even get off the floor. Oh I'd man. Walk. It was really bad. And so I think it damaged my lower lungs. I went through a whole host of tests for two years trying to figure out how to get over the chronic fatigue part of it. And in a small way, maybe that was the gift that got me into finding a different path and climbing. Mm. Because I, I was like, bah, I'm done with racing. I'm done with even having the feeling that I want to go super hard Mm. because it's probably not there anymore. Like I can still go pretty hard, but I can't go race hard probably anymore. Yeah. Uh, And so that probably at 45, that, that was a real gift for me because then it was like, I'm, I just want to climb. (laughs) (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I'm such a late, like all these friends I know who are in the twenties, that they're all done climbing doing endurance stuff. And I'm like, just feel like I just got
0: started. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, yeah, I I just think that's so exciting for you. It seems like you're just starting to kind of explore. Um, I don't, I don't know how to say it, this kind of deeper, slower side of climbing. Um, and again, it makes perfect sense why, why it has taken you a long time to become interested in it because, you know, like the type of climbing that I love, you know, projecting hard boulders and sport climbs and things like that, it's so slow and tedious. And I'm not the type of person that needs to get energy out all the time. Like i it's very easy for me to sit and edit a podcast for eight hours straight. I don't know why that is, but I'm much more of like a, I can lock into like a really tedious task and just kind of keep chipping away at it. Um, so that style of climbing suits my personality. But yeah, I, I see climbers who, are a little bit more like you who just have, you know, the Energizer bunnies, like Amity Warm comes to mind, you know, like she needs to be climbing on El Cap. She needs to be trying to do hard El Cap routes in a day because she just goes, 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 right? And she she has a hard time turning that off. Um, not that she should. So I'm curious what your relationship with climbing looks like these days. And I actually want to, I want to share one of the most, one of the more profound things that you said in our first conversation, which is, I have a little quote in front of me. If you wanna go fast, you've gotta go slow most of the time. I thought that was so great. That captures um, such, such, a, such, such an important principle, I think, of performance, whether it's in speed and racing or in, in hard climbing. But yeah, I'd love to hear you talk more about that and what climbing looks like for you nowadays.
1: So that's still the crux for me (laughs) for two reasons. I still have a lot of energy and I still love to just be outside. So it's two things. It's hard for me to train the way I should, if I really want to push my limit, like grade wise or, or just project wise, I don't want to give up those days outside. So the best example is, you know, I just, I came off a week of skiing 12 hour drive. I'm, like I should have taken a day off, right? And then I could have <laughs> One sent, day off, I could yeah. have actually sent a really perfect day and highlight up on Nutcracker working on the crux pitch. But instead, I was so desperate to climb and to be outside again, I spent 3 days in a row sort of torching myself but not getting anything done, right? I I mean other than just pure enjoyment of climbing in the canyon mm. and and pumping myself silly, right? But I didn't really work toward the goals that I have this that, this winter, mm. that week. Subsequently, it's interesting because I spent that week with my friend's daughter, who's 16, who's a ski mountaineering racer in Salt Lake, crushing it and had these very conversations. And without, <laughs> trying to, without trying to give her advice, I was asking her about her training and she was just describing the same thing that, you know, it's just like, I keep thinking we've learned and then I hear about her coaches and they're overtraining her. Mm. more in mountain biking than in ski mountaineering. Her, her woman's ski mountaineering coach, I will say, sounds like awesome. Like if people say they're tired, she's like, all right, let's do something fun. But I was saying that very same thing to her. I was just like, oh, so, you know, my best races were when the week before I'd go out and do something super long, five, eight hours, but so slow, it was torturous. You know, like I could have a conversation the whole way. I wanted to pick up the speed But same with climbing for me. That's my, that's my crutch is that I don't take enough rest days to then try to really climb hard enough to to get something that I'm looking at. I mean, occasionally I do. I'm learning and it's really rewarding. Mm. But like you said, you know, it's amazing how much like three boulder moves will take out of you. And you, and then for me to, to like, so I'm willing to compromise a certain grade or a certain level in climbing that I probably could still get to. It's not that important to me. I'd rather, like, I would love to be pushing in to more and more 12s that are trad and and know that that means that everywhere I go in the mountains, I could jump on hard 11 cracks I've never seen before and, you know, on, on big alpine rock climbs and feel confident because that's my end goal. So I want to be out there doing that, mm. right? Mm -hmm. even though the even though the projecting is in our own canyon here it's so fun and rewarding especially the partnership part of it you know just the support but yeah I just need to slow down enough and realize that you know I need a lot more rest to do that kind of stuff so so I think it lends itself better to your you know your physiology and personality which is like you're completely fine, just <laughs> doing a hard day of bouldering and then doing a couple of days of podcasting,
0: right? Right, right. Well, you yeah, like but,
1: I get outside
0: every day. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I also am very aware in this conversation that um, I'm probably playing into what I think has become kind of a weird climbing cultural issue, which is that we we really elevate projecting. You know, we re- we really put that on a pedestal. We feature that in all the films. Um, it's always that kind of hero's journey, right? Like someone takes on the hardest thing they've ever tried and they struggle and they fail and then they have to leave and then they don't know if they'll ever do it and then they come back and then they succeed or whatever the story is, that's such a common arc. And um, I think sometimes I I have to be careful, I have to remind myself that not everyone wants to be a project climber or not everyone cares enough about climbing harder to align their climbing lifestyle in, in a way that, that leads to that and that's totally fine. Like that's what's amazing about climbing is everyone can have their own experience. Climbing can look like so many different things, I guess. And I'm curious for you, you just touched on it a little bit. It sounds like there's a little bit of a tension there. Like you want to improve your climbing. Uh, you, wanna, you wanna raise your climbing grades so that you can go do these long multi-pitch 512s in the mountains and things like that in the Alpine. And you recognize that to do that, you're going to have to take more rest days, uh, at least sometimes, <laughs> in pursuit of of harder climbing. But then, you know, you describing those three days of mixed climbing and just how joyous it was. Like, of course, like if that's where you find joy in climbing, you should be doing that. Does that feel like a tension that you're holding between those two things?
1: A little bit, for sure. I love that you're that you've what you've touched on, which is what the media shows us, you know, what the media encourages us to think is important, right. Or our own social media feeds kind of keep, keep feeding us as important. I'll give you a quote I had on my desk for years and I have it there because it's so not me, but <laughs> cause I feel like I'm Jack of all trades, master of none. You know, I'm a pretty decent athlete who can do a lot of different things, but I I've never given myself over completely to one of them. To, to really know what I could what I could accomplish, right, mm-hmm. where I could take it. And Van Gogh had this quote. It was it was essentially, you know, um, if you give yourself up and over to to one thing, if you burn yourself up completely, essentially focusing on one thing, being really good at it, knowing it completely, that you'll have knowledge of all things, right? Because to that last ten percent for all of us is the hardest thing in the world to give. It's it's where you got to close all the other doors. You've got to give up all these other things, you know. And when you, when we see the people who've done that, whether it's music or art or athletics, climbing, it's brilliant. Like it's mm. it's like wow, wow, that is, I commend them. You know, um, and some of this comes back to my age, in that I also have to recognize. As much as I want a part of that, like you were saying, like I, I beat myself up a little bit because I, I still think I have the potential to climb harder. But I am not willing to give up the rest of those experiences that fuel me so much. So, like Leslie, our mutual friend, is in New Mexico and she's working on these cave routes and she's starting to send thirteens. And you know, she and I are, are the ones who started broad beta, and I'm just like, oh. God, she's going to be too strong for me. I'm not going to be able to (laughs) go on trips with her, you know? And she's like, no, that's just cave routes, right? But she's, it's so impressive. It's like, she's given herself to that and it shows what you can do. The flip side, she comes up here to get back into ice climbing, which she hasn't had a lot of experience in, right? And it's like, kind of, kind of you have to step back a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, like, I realize every time winter comes, I think I'm just going to rock climb for the winter and I'm going to just know I'm going to get you know i'm gonna project i'm gonna get just keep my rock going and then literally like one day out in the canyon ice climbing or a powder day and i i so love winter steven it's (laughs) totally insane like it was 35 below and you're like god that was miserable up there and i'm like no i kind of loved it (laughs) (laughs) and my mom's like that she's 96 and she's always like oh it's it's cloudy and miserable here. And I just love it.
0: Oh, that's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, you know, so part of it is I have to accept who I am. I just, I love being in the mountains. Mm. I love, I love the connection with wildness and that's a big part of what, what fuels me and brings me joy. And at the same time, I'm a very physical athletic person who now, you know, climbing is my my main thing, but, So I want, I, I know what it feels like to go out and actually get a climb that I never thought I could get or work on it or project it. And it's really cool. Like COVID was the time that taught me that and Mm. the fun of like having this, we like had this COVID clutch where we'd all go to the crag together because we were all super open about who'd been exposed or not. And it was just so fun. It's probably what you get down there. You had just have these friends, you just get to go support each other on these boulder problems and. I mean, I wish I could have it all, right? I wish there was time to it all. <laughs> it's
0: just not. Totally. Well, th- I'm, this is why I'm so interested in hearing your thoughts on this is, is um, I think it's such a common uh, struggle that that so many climbers can relate to. There's not enough time to do it all. And I'm sure to you, I seem like someone who's really focused and I'm just pursuing these Um, you know, these goals and bouldering and sport climbing. But I, in my own way, I struggle with the exact same thing, which is probably my greatest climbing superpower is capacity in a day. Like being able to like climb, I can climb V7 all day and I love doing that. But every time I go do that, I've been doing that for years. I'm just teaching my body to be able to climb more V7s in a day. You know, I'm not, I want to climb V12 eventually and I'm not really serving myself towards that goal. And I'm kind of always, Holding this inner tension between those two things because some of the most rewarding experiences I've had in climbing and by extension in my life have been times where I did buckle down, you know, like, no, this, this one's really important to me. I'm going to set some of this other stuff aside and go all in on this, you know, this climb I want to do and commit a month of my life to it or, or more or whatever it takes. And when that works out, I mean, not even just when it works out, but the process of that is so rewarding in and of itself. And um, I'm always, I I just think we're all, we all tend to be our own worst enemies, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and, And that's something I'm still working through all the time is like, well, I enjoy, I so enjoy just doing new movement, doing new climbs and getting to the top of things and having those experiences with friends. And, you know, checking the box and feeling like I, you know, was, was quote, productive with my day of climbing. And uh, it just feels like life's short, you know, do I really want to spend a big chunk of it underneath this one boulder? The tension between that and like, well, there are these harder things that I would really love to do. And that's going to require me to set that aside. It's it's just constant. And, it, and it's always a struggle with, with the balance there. So it's, it's fun to hear you share your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, and I have lots, but that kind of brought back around a couple things. One is it sort of leads to mentorship, right, which I never had. But it's also this thing of, like you said, I can just do this. I'm having fun. I'm happy. And you, you, unless you have the experience you had once or I'm starting to get, you wouldn't even know how fulfilling it could be, right, to close those doors and actually focus on a goal. Um, if, and I think if we had better mentors or if, if I had had them like anything in life, right. If someone, if someone encourages you or shows you something you didn't think was possible for yourself, if you, you, you sort of need that door to open a little bit somehow. And it, it's helpful if someone can help open that for you and show you a, a path or maybe even give you some guidance toward it. Right. Um, and I, so I never really had that. I just went for everything on my own. But it meant that I never really put myself out there and closed the doors that I should have to, I think I say should have just because I think, like you said, the fulfillment of doing that is huge. And it's, hard, it's so unrecognizable to us if we've never had it or never seen it or whatever. It's a little bit like I see all these women, friends, others, you know, and it's changing. And this is what's so exciting with being part of broad beta and just just opening myself up to this world who will top rope forever and say they're completely content. Right. It's just like, no, I I don't need to lead. I'm I'm psyched. I'm having a good time. I'm not really that into climbing or it just would take too much to step back and start leading. Um, It's like, I, how do you convey to them? Right. This is where maybe mentorship can be a part of this world um, to open people's eyes, but like, how do you convey to them? No, no, no. Like you don't understand. Like if, if you start leading, like, it's not just about leading. It's like your whole life changes. (laughs) And it's just like anything else in your life. As soon as you find confidence in something you didn't have confidence in, right. It extends to the rest of your life and Mm. and how you feel about yourself and what you're going to do with your life and how you present yourself in work situations or life situations. And, and let alone just that moment of complete like craziness that you just did something you never thought you could do and you did it yourself. Mm. You know, I mean, I dreamt my whole life of climbing Fitzroy because I worked at Patagonia and Chenard and these guys, you know, had opened my eyes to what was down there and you see those mountains. And of course, as any kind of mountain person, you want to you see them or climb them. And I dreamt of, climbing Fitzroy and I was like but I'll never do it my first trip down there was early days the road was last year of the dirt road we we base camped up you know at Bridwell camp we didn't we didn't have the luxuries of like an apartment in town where we were bouldering and (laughs) sport and we had horrible weather for 20 days and the first time we got a window it was two days and we (laughs) totally blew it because the wind came up and I was like "Ah, I'm too scared you know and I came down and and I just thought, like, God dang it, am I going to have to, like, hire a guide, which, of course, I'm not going to do because my good friend Rolo is always like, well, that's stupid. You should just do an adventure at your level. That's a proper adventure. If it's Gijame, it you know, he did it at 15, even if I do it at 40, that's still an adventure if that's at my, like, limit, right? Totally,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And it's like, that's where the media feeds are such a bummer because it's, it's so it's so negative for people to think that you have to get the trophy con to be mm. satisfied. Right. That that's a whole other side, but like eventually I work on my climbing and I get better and I go back to Patagonia again with another woman friend who's, you know, opened my eyes to a whole, a whole like other world of what I had the capacity to do. Like I knew I, I could do it, but mentally, I just didn't believe in myself mm. and I'd get scared. You know, the weather would scare me. The, the thought of the route difficulty would scare me, whatever, certainly down there, the weather. Um, and she was just like, you know, we got up at 2am, it's snowing. And she's like, well, let's just go. Let's just walk toward our goal. You know, if it will turn around. And I was like, I wouldn't have gotten out of the tent. (laughs) I would have been like, well, in Alaska, you don't get out of the tent if it's snowing unless you absolutely have to, you just wait. And, and I was, you know, we did, and we ended up doing this amazing climb that day together. And, (laughs) It, Cause it went bluebird and we were sitting there between Sarah Tory and Fitzroy on the backside, just like, like in this cathedral and doing something I never thought was going to be possible. Wow. And so like I learned, and then I went back with another woman friend and we climbed Fitzroy and we did it together and we did it on our own. And in fact, I had more experience than her. She was a arguably stronger crack climber from Yosar and Yosemite days and stuff. And totally like was a great teammate, you know? Um, but was, Probably more scared than I was at that stage of la- launching on Fitzroy because that was her first trip down there. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, this just comes full circle to the mentorship thing and just the idea of someone how do we communicate or how do we mentor people into seeing like that going for the impossible has so many rewards, right? And even today I'm sitting here saying this and yet most of the time I'm still just doing the three days of fun climbing instead of yeah. putting myself, you know, instead of really working toward my uh, a goal that I actually might have because I'm not a super goal oriented person because of that. I just I just look at the weather for the week and I'm like, well, this is what I'm going to do based on the weather instead of this is my goal at the end of the season. How do I work toward that? Mm. And what do I, what do I need to give up to get there? Um, and so for some of us, it's like micro steps, you know, and we still get to have those epiphanies and maybe for others, like I would say probably you or others who are a lot more focused on one aspect of climbing and, you know, that's what you love and that's what you want to do. And, you know, you might take those days and do V sevens all day long, but you're probably more likely to set yourself a goal and, and know how to close some doors and know the the value of that. Right. I'm still learning and I still like too many aspects of
0: the mountains. Climbing. Well, it is is funny. I mean, like hearing you say that just now, like I still like too many aspects of the mountains. You're almost like rolling your eyes at yourself, um, (laughs) making it sound like a bad thing. It's just, it's just, it's so interesting. Like everything that you're saying kind of touches on like a really deep philosophical question. And for me, I think it touches it gets to the heart of like why i think climbing matters, you know. um i just don't understand why humans need to be challenged. like why is it that challenge feels so important as a part of the human experience versus like, you know, it's 2023, it'd be so easy for many of us to just basically default to leisure most of the time and just have a life that's very comfortable and very enjoyable and fun and And yet for me, I do that for about a week and I start to go crazy and I have to think about the next goal and I have to challenge myself in some way and I have to stretch my comfort zone, whether it's with the podcast and conversations or with climbing or both and or learning something new. And I mean, I think it makes sense just intuitively that that's like a key part of our evolution, but I don't understand why why it feels so critically important to me you know, and to many of us, yeah. it, but it's,
2: yeah.
0: it's really why climbing matters. Cause that's, it's for us, like for, for many of us who are listening, who have our physical needs met, who have, you know, we're, we're lucky we have jobs, we can put a roof over our heads, we can buy food whenever we want to. Um, it's our avenue for challenge. It's our avenue for testing ourselves and for failing in a, in a way that's still safe um, and doesn't threaten our survival
1: well or or it does right
0: right or it does or it does i'd
1: say as climbers it threatens it, both those aspects way more than anything else people put themselves out doing most mostly so yeah i mean we have this luxury right where we're doing we're taking climbing and pushing ourselves and there can be life-threatening aspects to that um, to to feel so alive and to get that joy and fulfillment i mean if you look at history, it's like people went to war, right? Mm -hmm. People fought on the battle lines. Like they didn't need to go climbing.
2: Right.
1: I mean, it's such, you know, even today you look at what people are going through in the Ukraine. I mean, here we are, you know, we, like you said, we're just bored and unfulfilled. If we sit around and just do the complacent cultural life, you know, or, or culturally sort of imposed life that, that, it looks like we're supposed to lead i would say there are a lot of people who probably because culture pushes us to think success is money they put that risk into into their professional life maybe mm. um, and i think those of us born just maybe more as physical athletic beings need to find a different place to put that and the beauty of climbing is that it's it's both cognitive and physical right so that's right why I'm at it so interesting because i like to push myself as well sometimes in my intellectual world or work world but it's still not the same as like i still need that physical push like you said to feel really alive and put myself out there further and the beauty of climbing is we we can tie those together Mm -hmm. but it is such a luxury because
0: of course yeah
1: how many people have that just in day-to-day living or in our past we had other other aspects of life that did that But what, yeah, the the why part is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you were an animal in the wild, you'd just be the survival aspects of your being would be enough, right? Right. Yes. You'd have the fight and flight. You'd have all the stuff that goes with just finding food as in winter, as, you know, as a, a wildlife. And i I think that's in us, you know, I think there's an animalistic thing I mean we need, and we should i think be uncomfortable and every time I you know I have lots of family members or friends or other folks or I don't judge them, but I almost feel for them, right, because it's so easy, like you said, to just live in luxury and live complacent, like not complacently, but just live comfortably, mm-hmm. and they're always like, why do you need to keep doing this and do that? you know, why do you need to put yourself on that edge. And I don't even, I don't even feel that I do that compared to all the people I know in climbing. Right. I'm too afraid to fall still or whatever. I I'll turn around sooner if the weather looks bad than some folks, but, but for me, my edge, you know, I have to find that or else I don't, I don't feel very alive. I don't feel very much like life is very interesting if I don't find that. In yeah. something. And it can be intellectual at times. It doesn't always have to be our physical being, but I just think culturally, we're dumbed down, and I think people aren't awake because of it. Mm. you know I mean, mostly, I love the climbing culture because I feel like most of my my climbing friends are more awake in the world than, than a lot of other folks oh like that's it, it,
0: that's interesting, yeah, because I've been sitting but... I've been sitting here wondering like why like why 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 is it important? Why does it matter? I'm just kind of reflecting for myself and, and you saying that it makes you feel alive, that challenge, um, you know the risk. Is that the difference you see? Like you feel that aliveness in yourself, you see it in your climbing partners. And, um, you know, you, you talked about your 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 woman friends who like to top rope and are just content to top rope all the time. Do you see a difference there? Like, is, do you feel this aliveness that you want to be able to give to them or are they finding that challenge in other parts of their lives?
1: So a couple of things, I think they certainly could be finding it in other parts of their lives. I. I I could think about that and give examples, but, um, yeah, it's totally my judgment call on them to, to want them to experience what I finally found. Right. And the joy of that, of, of finding that confidence and overcoming kind of that questioning of my abilities. Um, shoot, I had a, a train of thought there that I kind of lost because we went off. Yeah. Oh, so a question Here's a really interesting one. If you you're not a skier, right?
0: Um, I grew up skiing. Actually, yeah, I okay. skied. I skied for most of my childhood downhill and okay. telemarking.
1: So we could we could draw a similar analogy in climbing. But one of the things, as this group that I've skied toured with forever, we ask ourselves sometimes on these trips, is if there was no risk of avalanches, would backcountry skiing be as fulfilling? Mm. Okay, and I would say, arguably. And I have a different answer today than I used to. Yes, but we would then be pushing ourselves into steeper and steeper, more dangerous terrain. Mm. Like many of us who are finding the fulfillment in the whole package, right? Like that last week, I couldn't, we couldn't push into really steep, steep terrain or some of the tours we love to do out of that hut because there were some persistent weak layers and, you know, people were really worried about avalanches. And so... Um, you know, I dug a ton of pits and I did a lot of snow analysis and just tried to learn from it. And, and as much as I love to ski powder, that whole package is still part of the experience of a backcountry ski trip. Like, that's what makes it, I think, fulfilling, you know, and, and fun and, ex- and interesting and where we're learning, right? I, I think the bigger thing I would distill it all down to is learning. If we're not learning, are we really happy? I mean, culturally, we're told we should be if we own a bunch of junk and we sit around with all our, with all these material things, and we have we're supposed to be like, oh, now I've arrived, we're really happy. But you know, we only learn if we push ourselves past the comfort zone, if we're mm. only over the edge a bit, or at least on, on the edge. You know, otherwise, are right. really not. I don't know. I don't think I'm learning. If I'm always comfortable in in any way, intellectually, spiritually, physically, so I think that's it. Like, and maybe just those of us who've had it want more of it. It's like a drug. Maybe those who you know who were pushed into it, unfortunately, through cancers and other things, right, come out going, "Whoa!" Like, I got to reevaluate. This is life. Is you only get one life? Mm-hmm. It's maybe not that long. So, what do I want to do with it? Right? Yeah. And some people turn toward just like the fun factor, and the bucket list. That's all just fun, but arguably, even then, people are still going to places where they're learning something, they're experiencing something. their Their eyes are open to something new, right? Maybe just because we're more physical, that's why climbing is so special. That we get the cognitive and the physical in on that edge, and it's so amazing. Yeah, it's hard to take ourselves to where the very edge we could, but.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you really hit on it. I think, um, I don't know if this is like a, you know, a human, a global human truth or if it's just something that I resonate with personally, but I think it is uh, growth. I think it's learning and growth and engaging with like the edge of your comfort zone. You know, like hearing you describe the skiing experience, I skied for you know, 15 years or something, um, a lot, but it was all resort skiing. So in college, I start to got in. I start to get into um, backcountry, and I'm telemarking, and telemarking's hard. And I had no interest in dancing with, you know, the risk of avalanches because just hiking up the mountain was so uncomfortable, and and doing all the lunges telemarking coming down was so uncomfortable. So that was plenty of of growth opportunity for me, just the experience of being out in the mountains. I'm sure I'm so much less fit and less um, comfortable in the mountains than you are. So that stretched me, you know? And then the added thought of like, ooh, this this hillside could could slide down. Um, I had no interest in, in engaging with that. I just wanted to do safe stuff because everything else was hard about it. But I think that is the theme, like in climbing, as soon as your comfort, or in anything, as soon as your comfort zone grows, it just feels so rewarding to engage with, with some edge of our comfort zone. And, and we can kind of expand out in different directions, whether it's, you know, climbing more scary stuff or whether it's climbing just more difficult stuff or switching styles and becoming a beginner again and having the discomfort of, of, um, of not knowing, not, not having that confidence that comes with experience. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you touched on it really well there. I think it is learning and growth and engaging with the edge of our comfort zone. It's so fulfilling for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, that said, I'll give you two other sort of things I think about. One is just a, ref- a, a reflection of something funny growing up in a big family. But my mom is always saying, when are you going to stop climbing? <laughs> and I mean, to this day, you know, it's just like, if she could, she'd still be saying, when are you going to sit, you know, settle down and have a family or work in an orphanage or, you know, that's the <laughs> her world, right? In terms of the value of life. And I can't get through to her that, you know, that her, her taking the risk to have 11 kids. Like my dad was out of work. Twice. Totally. Was like just just drive a bus, you know, just get a job. And he's like, no, I'm going to get a good job. You know, I mean, they're raising 11 kids trying to put food on the table. Right. And my older sister sewed their own clothes and I, it's not, I'm not trying to play some violin. Like I grew up the youngest. So I, I was totally like in a good situation, but, um, reasonable regular middle-class America you know but but like she took that risk in her own way right exactly I mean, she was always on that edge my god I mean it was just like little postpartum depression I mean all this stuff that goes into that but she can't totally relate you know she doesn't see because for her raising children is something you do that's important in the world and hopefully they grow up Catholic which most of us aren't but you know. um it's hard to see climbing as we all like to say, it's so selfish, but it's, it's not really, it's just like, we're all given different gifts. Right. And kind of that's where we're at now. The flip side of that is if you study meditation and Buddhism and I'm, you know, my partner happens to be very into it and I'm trying really hard to meditate. <laughs> <bit> every <laughs> so that I can get deta- you know, not get attached to things and slow myself down. But I mean, ideally, like we could have all these same experiences sitting on a cushion. Right. If you, really, you know, the Buddhists yeah. would tell you, right? So us sitting here at the luxury of this conversation of which, you know, how fulfilling projects are and pushing ourselves over that edge and putting ourselves out there, you know, that might encourage people who aren't doing it and they might find something new in that for themselves and more confidence in like what I'm trying to get at with broad beta for women and gender queer folks, those of us on the margins who followed culture and kind of wanting us to break out of that is just like, what is your true nature, right?
2: Mm.
1: And, and part of the struggle for me, growing up with the guilt of Catholicism and everything else that is put on me from my family, from my parents, is like I'm I'm a physical person. Like I I definitely love the challenges of of work and intellectual side of things and, and finding meditation and some, you know, the spiritual aspects I gain from or just the joy in, in being in wilderness and wildness but, but my nature is to be physical. Like I just, it's just part of who I am. And I've beat myself up about it my whole Mm. life. Like I should be someone other than who I am.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: you know, that's partly cultural. It's partly familial. Um, maybe just eventually self-imposed it's, but it's so stupid, right? It's like (laughs) such a waste of energy instead of just instead of just being like, no, this is, this is my gift. Like, like I can either use it or just trash myself about it forever. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's harder because it's, it's not something I feel like gives other people something in the end, you know, like doctors get just you know, my niece is a doctor though. And she's, she's like, I don't save people. I just get the same druggies who come into the ER asking for Dilaudid everything. Right. Like I'm not in society, you know, I'm just handing right. out drugs or whatever. And, catching someone up and i'm like wow that was such an epiphany to me i was like mm. here i think of these professions that actually help the world and someone in them is just as challenged or you know perplexed or just like frustrated at at, the, at their own life that they're not doing enough and, and right. i thought well right you now when are we all going to stop doing that to each other it's it's i think it's very cultural and it's also the state of the, the world like things are happening with climate change where we all hopefully are awake enough to like kind of want to positively affect that or, you know, mitigate our impact. And so it's hard not to want to feel like that what we're doing is giving back somehow. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think if we're joyful, I mean, even the Dalai Lama would say that, like, if you're joyful, if you're happy, you know, that emanates out to the world. And so my cynical self is like, okay, stop being cynical and critical Stop even being such a Debbie Downer about the planet, right? Because I can get really heavy with that. And share the joy of what you love and experience in the physical aspects of climbing and what I do in the mountains. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the broad beta aspect to me is how can I share that in all my years in the industry? You know, how can I sh- try to share that and, and help others experience it who want to, you know? who, who Right. ready.
0: Yeah. So that's where I wanted to go next. I definitely want to talk about broad beta in a lot more depth in a second here. I'm just going to share a few thoughts that came to mind while you were talking just now. Um, the first one is for people listening, I don't want to come off as putting climbing on a pedestal as like the best way or, um, you know, some like amazing way to challenge yourself. It's, it's exactly what you said. Like your mother found that kind of challenge just by raising 11 kids that were constantly growing and changing and evolving. And I mean that's that's a level of challenge that feels so scary and intimidating to me. Um, everyone, I think, finds that in their own life and in their own way. And you know, for for like a marginalized person listening to this, it could be they could get a lot more of that challenge and growth just from survival. You know, un- unfortunately, just based on where things are at in our society still. Um, so I'm not cl- I'm not putting climbing on a pedestal. At the same time, or I'm not saying that like people you know need to try certain types of climbing to find that sort of fulfillment and growth. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, you, you just said like, um, there's this common feeling that climbing is selfish and cause you're not giving back, but then you, you know, you compare it to your doctor friend. And, and that was a big shift for me that happened maybe in my mid or late twenties. Cause I was really wrestling with that question for a long time. Like, am I just, uh, am I just self-serving? Like, it, it, you know, is this, doing anything positive in the world. And I think if you love something that is that space where you can engage with challenge and growth, and you are someone that wants to make positive change, you'll find a way to do it indirectly. You know, like you would not be doing broad beta if it wasn't for the experiences that you've had in the mountains and and the partnerships that you've had and how those have shaped you. And now you wanna give that to other people. That's amazing. And you're also sharing your appreciation and love of the environment and of the planet that we we get to inhabit and, and and sharing that value with other people. And of course, that's going to have a positive impact on global warming, you know? So it's not direct. You're not like out there campaigning and um, engaging in politics and directly planting trees maybe and things like that. But I think, I think if climbing is the thing that helps you come alive and challenges you and gets you thinking about how to give back, then it's not selfish at all. I think it's an amazing vehicle for that. And and you're a great example of that with what you're doing, so.
1: Well, I mean, I definitely agree with you that, and my partner has been great about that because I definitely grew up with a different attitude. But, you know, yeah, pursuing our passion and, and, and if that's climbing, finding that joy and sharing it with others, that, that's a good thing. And 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 barring travel, our, our sport is pretty low impact, right? Right. Our passion. Which is which is also super. It's a nice it's a nice aspect to it. Um, I will say like with broad beta, you touched on you know the wilderness aspect, the environmental aspect, the planet where it's you know that passion of wanting to us all to realize what, what we have right now is, is is ephemeral. Like it could go away, you know. And I mean, I just watched. A, sometimes I'll pull up and watch a little climbing film this one was about a remote place in bc and it's they only access these big walls because of the logging roads right so it's this juxtaposition of mm. the craziness that this whole thing that's destroying the very area that they've found that they so love is the only reason they've found it and the only reason they can continue to climb there is because the logging roads are maintained
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and you know one of the things with broad beta that i struggle a little bit with is Trying to encourage women's partnerships, because I think that's if you are a climber and a woman or gender group person, finding those those folks who are at your level to go out and experience climbs with is so different than than being with someone who's a guide or a mentor or someone better, right? Sometimes you just need to get in the in the weeds and figure it out on your own. And and it pushes you to take the responsibility. And there's something so amazingly fulfilling about that. But but also it's that. It's that connection to wildness inside us and, and finding our true nature and, and living out who, you know, the gifts we have and the passions we have in the way that we, we want to rather than how we're imposed on, you know, what's imposed on us by culture, our culture. So, so it's really important to me to figure out how, how to, to tell these stories, how to share these stories through climbing and skiing but the connection with wildness and our environment and how fragile it is and how important it is and like how much that gives us in addition to the physical and the challenge there is you know we've got some great stories of sport climbing mentorship coming up and things that are a little more project-based but and those bring other epiphanies and like revelations I think to our to our community of broad beta that are really important but the big picture for me is just that the wildness aspect needs to be there in it and how to share that, you know, even if you just go out Nordic skiing or you go out a day of cragging versus being in the gym, what does that feel like? You know, for me to be out in the Canyon cragging or projecting something, it's radically different than being in the gym. You know, the gym to me is training could be kind of social, but being outside You know, I get home from a day outside, no matter what the weather or what's going on. It's just like I'm fueled differently. Mm. Connection is 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 super important, and I don't know. Maybe there were gifts of friends who gave me that in my experiences. I was fortunate, but gosh, it's like it's a huge part of what makes us the people you know alive and human and compassionate and and fulfilled and I think in our world today of Strava and timing everything and, and, you know, projecting and numbers and accomplishments and all the feeds we get on social media that I don't get because I'm not on social media. (laughs) (laughs) It's really dangerous. Like it's great information and inspiration. And that's what I struggle with in terms of broad beta. It's like I miss out on a lot of inspiration and ideas because I don't follow social media. That's why, kind of why I'm doing this as well, because it's like a chance for people who want to come to us. You don't have to come to us. If you want to come to us, these stories are here, and we have a podcast, and we have a written story, but we're not feeding it to you daily in a way that programs your brain to think, oh, my God, I'm not worthy. I'm not doing enough. I'm mm. not sending enough.
0: Yeah, that's projecting, great.
1: Projecting enough. You know what I mean? It's like you shouldn't feel bad going out for a day of B7, but you should also feel like hopefully something inside you says, nope. Right now I want to close the doors and work on B12 and this this is what I need to get there. Mm -hmm. Not because you're fed this stuff that says that's what's going to make you worthy or sponsored or famous. I mean, I don't don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I don't know. That's where getting out in wilderness and away from all that stuff, I think just makes us all better human beings.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love your vision for it. I wanna take a few steps back and hear more about what Broad Beta is. And um, I have this question for you. So Leslie, we already talked about Leslie, our, our mutual, your, your close friend and, and my acquaintance from college who connected us, uh, you started Broad Beta together. And she said that this is an idea that you were sitting on for like six years. And then she kind of gave you the nudge to finally make it happen. What was that idea? What was it that you were noticing in the world around you? What did you hope to do with Broad Beta?
1: Yeah, I mean, to go back, I started working in the outdoor industry, selling skis and climbing stuff when I was 15 and worked all through college. And then flew out to Patagonia, Ventura, California to do an interview on my own dime and got a job there, right? And it changed my life. Like there were women running that place. There were, I mean, it was a very progressive thinking california company that i came from a conservative midwest background anyway through years of of working in the industry eventually running product lines and creating them for them and then um developing a lot of women's and men's product for skiing and climbing and endurance mountain fast and light stuff for years i'd done that in the industry and i'd held these focus groups with our ambassadors wherever i worked and when I would fill them in on the new fabrics and the new products, and then we'd brainstorm ideas, right? Like what's missing? What are the problems out there? What can we solve? And when I go through the fabric stuff, the women, especially would be like, why don't we know any of this? You know why You should do a gear review site for women. That's kind of where it started. Mm. And then my friend Jewel and I were brainstorming on an ice climbing trip. Like we should come up with a name for this. And, and she actually cleverly coined the broad beta name. And, uh, and I was like, dang, and so I paid for the domain and I sat, <laughs> I kept paying more than I should have. I didn't even know to sit on that thing. I finally let it go. And then of course, Leslie and I are out one day ski touring after climbing the nose and stuff together. And she was, and we were talking and I was explaining it. And then she was like, we we should do this, you know, like, but, but like we should talk about partnerships, you know, cause we'd just gone through a couple of big climbs together. And, and the value of that partnership as for, as women, was so valuable to us, you know, that experience, that it was like, God, it would be so inspiring to read about other women doing this. And and when you look at it, it's like, there's lots of great new groups that are supporting beginners. You know, I teach ice climbing at the ice clinics, and there's Flash boxy and there's She Jumps, and all these great, great companies that are getting women out and folks on the margins out in ways that are just so um, supportive. And then there's sponsored athletes and social media and companies making films about sponsored athletes and ambassadors. And they they have their platform, right, to tell their stories. And they're even paid to tell their stories. But then I look around and I and and I'm like, whoa, there's like a there's so many women and and now for me opening the doors to all these others on the margins, their stories aren't being told. We're not hearing their stories. And they're so incredibly valuable you know, and enriching and inspiring and maybe just tragic and sad. Mm. Um, and that was when it was like, boom, the light went off. It's like, this is our, this, this could be our chance to share those stories. Mm. And uh, in addition, you know, for me, it's easy to do the gear review. So the gear review becomes part of probably. <laughs> um, and I talk about fabrics and products that are made quote unquote made for women. Um, and, and eventually we'll get to this whole like gender, gender fluid aspect of how we make products which is really a good challenge for me to think about um and we're doing tech tips and of course food as women in mountain sports is so inherent in who we are and our eating and our focus on our body and physical aspects so that that's a part of it um that we've included as well but um yeah i think it's just wanting to hear other stories i want to i want to hear these stories you know and we've already had so many and they involve the whole life of that person i think you going back to something you touched on earlier it's just like how we heroize people americans love heroes right and on the mentorship side i learned early on the heroes that i saw people gravitating toward they were able to separate the rest of their lives from what they did physically. So the climbers that came out as heroes when I was younger, if I knew them, which in our industry you did, right? I knew the other aspects of their life. And I was like, wow, that is not a hero to me. They're a brilliant mm. climber, super inspiring climber. But like for me, and maybe this is more inherent for women, I don't know this for sure, but I think we look at more of the whole person before they become a hero to us. Like Muhammad Ali is my hero. Brilliant athlete, stood up for, you know, went to went to prison during the prime of his career, right? Now he could have not done that and signed up and they probably still have, might have let him just be the boxer that he was. But right. Like, for me, it's the whole person. And so, I love, like in our stories, we weave like, what else is going on in their lives? Mm. The, the women's stories are the, gender stories we're telling. And, and it's so interesting because then it brings in all these things you and I've just been talking about for over an hour, Right. The, challenge, the challenges in our lives that come into play. It's like, we're not, we don't get to separate them all out from who we are as a climber or our projecting or goals. It's like, it's all there sitting there somewhere. And so we're trying to bring some of that out so that other women who've maybe never gone for something or never had a woman partnership or just an equal partnership in the mountains they see someone's life and they're like, well, that person's not a superhero. Like mentors are mentors because they're there with you personally. So you get to know them and you know that they're better than you at something and they're showing you something, but you're there with you. But like a hero or someone inspires you, that's that's such a step removed, right? Mm. You're only seeing a partial person.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, we can get inspired by something someone's done, but but like Marc-Andre Leclerc, like. You know, Leclerc, I mean, he did what he did because he just he had to do it. It's who he was. It's what he was where he found his himself and and joy in the world, you know. And we can heroize him, we can villainize him, we can do all these things. But for me, like that guy found his true nature and he lived it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that's hard as a soloist, because you affect other people when you die, and it's a very risky thing to be doing. Classically he didn't die soloing. Um but anyway, yeah, that was our idea. It's just like goes from this idea of a gear review site to women's partnerships to sharing stories of of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mm, I love that. All I that goes that. with it from the tragic to the comic to the success to the failure. Um, just trying to trying to bring up those stories and and inspire us, you know, or just enlighten us, I guess.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, I love it. I mean, I I obviously really relate to it because I really try to do that here, and you know, oftentimes I am talking to people who either were or are my heroes, um, but that's why it's always interesting to me to try to talk about things outside of simply climbing and really get to know this person as a as a person and um, help to humanize them because it's I mean it's never been easier to feel disconnected from who people really are you know we see we see the curated highlight reel all the time and maybe that's changing I mean a, a lot of people are leading with more uh, vulnerability and um, I think culturally we're kind of shifting in that direction because I don't know the little dopamine snacks get kind of tiresome after a while you know we want substance but anyway all that to say I I have my own lane you have your lane and I just I just love what you're what you're doing and the stories that you're sharing. This is probably going to seem like a really basic question, you know, given everything that you've just said, but I'm still going to ask it. I'm curious, why is it so important to you to share those stories? What do they do for you? What do you see them do for other women who are engaging with broad beta? Why are sharing these stories that go beyond just the climbing and show this whole person, um, why are they so powerful? They're
1: powerful to me, because I think that in my life, as strong as I was in my you know, competing and being an athlete, I never saw the potential or I was never given like this vision of what was possible. I always looked at the people out there and I was like, well, I can't do that. Lynn Hill does that. I can't. Well, yeah, she was a gymnast. She's like. Done this her whole life. I didn't, I mean, I was impressed, undoubtedly, right? Superhero powers. But that was what it was to me. It was like superhero powers. Like I, and maybe this is just personal, but I always looked at them as like that's out of my range. Mm. They have a gift I don't have. They have something special, right? And Americans are classic for this. Like we tell kids all the time, you're so special, Johnny, you know, and it's like
0: you can do anything.
1: Yeah, and it's such a God, it's, there's so much in that that is negative. The positive is definitely you want to inspire kids to think they can do the impossible. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? It's like, so there's a part of that specialness that's, that's really just trying to say to them, you can do anything. But we're not special. Like the, 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 the better part of that is maybe it's just semantics, but it's it's like, no, we're all capable of this. Like there's a certain level where you're gifted and you're, you know, we're not all going to be Phelps. We're not all going to be Usain Bolt. You know, (laughs) we're not Alex Honnold, but, but there's a lot of places we could get to if, if we didn't see that as something we don't have. Mm. And so I never read those stories. I always read the stories of the classic white guy, sorry, but, (laughs) Climbers at the time, you know, who were doing this stuff, and it just was like, well, that's not going to be me, you know. Or even friends in the industry. I mean, I I worked with tons of ambassadors, like who were incredible. But I just always thought, well, that's them. I can't get there. Which is so funny. As someone sort of physically capable, I mean, I I I don't know why I couldn't see that that was a possibility for me.
2: Yeah.
1: I know that mentally I had that block. I just didn't. So. So, like, it became like, oh, they were either heroes or whatever. They were just people I was, in, you know, sort of in admiration of, in awe of, but I never thought I was capable of something similar. Mm. And I think that's where today's social media is beneficial, right? It gives everybody, in some ways, this idea that, no, well, I could go do that. Like, I should, I could, you know, I could be that. And, and so that's great. But sometimes the feed is like you said; it's a soundbite. And so, what we're trying to do is: like, this is the whole life story. This is a normal person doing something extraordinary.
2: Mm.
1: And and I'll, I'll correlate this back to to the early days of Patagonia's catalog. The brilliance of that catalog was it was ordinary people sending in their adventures, their mm. photos, stories. You know, I wrote some stories in there too, and they were nothing look crazy. But that like the days of that, they're gone. Everything's an ambassador story, everything's contrived, everything's a PR stint, everything's put together. That's like the raw, untold journeys of ordinary people doing these crazy extraordinary things. They aren't out there. They aren't as accessible. And that's just what I want to share because I want to read them selfishly.
0: That's oh, I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. I mean, uh yeah, you're you're really normalizing ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And it's funny, it just reminds me of like how powerful it is. Um, what am I trying to say here? Like the, a a lesson that, that I've been reflecting on and is so clear to me in climbing is, you know, the, the culture, the people around you, when you start climbing, absolutely have so much power in shaping your paradigm. You know, like for me, I grew up, um or I started climbing at Western Washington University when I was in college, and the strongest climbers in this little gym that we had climbed like v eight and like five eleven plus. and I just thought five eleven was like insanely hard, you know, And I'm sure that still holds me back to some degree. I mean, I've gotten past that in a in a to a great extent, but it's so different from today where five fourteen just doesn't even seem like a big deal to kids, you know They're like, you know, it's like a blip on the radar, like doing their first 14A. It's just like, oh yeah, cool. Did that, you know, benchmark, whatever, milestone. Um, but they, it doesn't feel big and, and intimidating and crazy. And and it's only other people that do stuff like that, you know, um, the way it still does to me to some extent. And I think it was Steve Bechtel that said this quote. And I, I still think about it all the time. And it really helped shift this whole thing on its head. Uh, you know, taking this idea of like, it's special people that do these extraordinary things and flipping it around and saying like, what makes you so special that you can't do that? What makes you so special that you can't climb 514? And it's like, damn, really puts me in the driver's seat. You know, <laughs> it's awesome. It's it's a really powerful reframe and, um, and one that I'm still working on and thinking about all the time.
1: The information and that inspiration is out there now with social media. So, and, and people are crushing it at, at every level. Like we have no excuses anymore. Um, so yeah, you can find that. You can find that inspiration and hopefully see that it's possible for you too. Um, so in one sense, that isn't no, as novel as it was, you know, for, in my time. But I think what is more novel because social media is more of a soundbite and always shows like the best side of, of people for the most part, maybe it is shifting, which is great to hear, is the whole story. And I think that's what we're trying to bring because I want I want the whole person's story, mm. right? Especially as a woman, like I—that's where I get inspired. I mean, the menopause article for me—it's like I wrote that as sort of a catharsis because I was just like going batshit crazy when I went through <laughs> everything. And you don't get a lot of information because no one shares that part of their lives, like,
0: right? Right. Women
1: I knew who were still crushing after clearly they were in their fifties. I didn't know what, what they went through during that time, you know, was it good or bad? Did it help or hurt? I mean, and, and as a woman, some of that is so helpful to understand, even if it's just to prepare yourself. So, I mean, let's face it, we're just more complex hormonally. So it makes us more complex human beings with a lot more emotional stuff than most men might go through. And I think as you know, women especially getting after it in the mountains are just having these wild adventures sharing their whole life's trajectory and story and complexities and you know whether that's eating stuff or like they want to get pregnant you know but they love climbing and they're not sure they want a kid I mean all those things like you, you don't have to really totally think about all that right and and yeah. Okay. We can all climb five fourteen if we put our heads to it. Most most people could today. Young people are doing it. like a drop of the bucket, you know, and they're like ten in the gym. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I just think there's a whole complex kind of array of things that, as, in life that just I would love to portray in our stories if we can.
0: Right. So it's not yeah.
1: just hero stories. It's not just grades. It's not just pushing yourself. Right. It's it's the whole mountain life like trajectory
0: right and i don't mean to make those things sound trivial or easy or simple at all you know it's just it's just that like that was a big lesson that i needed to learn and, and still need to learn uh, and remind myself of all the time but they're extraordinary like these stories that you're sharing these people are doing extraordinary things they're not normal things they're not easy things they're extraordinary but they're also ordinary people But like doing you said
1: them. they're not yeah and and they're we have to be careful even with that language, right? Because it goes back to feeling like, oh, it's extraordinary. I'm not extraordinary. <laughs> right. But like right. what you're saying is like, no, I'm extraordinary. Like I'm I,
0: can I can be. I can be. It's special. just going to take a lot of hard work. It's not easy. Yeah. But I, yeah, like what makes me so special that I can't be that? Huh. Okay. I don't know. Let's really yeah. break that down.
1: I also, you know, we're doing this just because there aren't there aren't many venues of um, out there right now other than social media for, for women to to share this, these journeys, right. To, to, for us all to look up and to them and read their stories and listen to the, you know, interviews. I mean, you've done some brilliant interviews of women and it's awesome. Like you've brought out the whole person and it's really inspiring and it's, you know, you've got your focus and ours is a little broader. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just another platform really. I mean, in the old days, it would have been a magazine and, you know, still to this day, like, I don't know. The magazines are so media driven now. this like most of them are useless to me in our industry because it's all just about selling product. Um, there's some good articles in there occasionally, but like this, man, we're not out to make a bunch of money. We're just, it, it really is my chance to, you know, to try to, to try to give something back or even create something I was never able to create in the industry while I was developing product. I mean, I developed a ton of women's product. Most of it got dropped because we could never sell it out, right mm. and you know it, it was really technical and it's like i'm cracking up as i look online and i see this company making zippered crotches in women's pants and they've patented it and i was like i still get roasted for being the woman who developed the you know the the superfly or the bombay zipper <laughs> in alpine climbing package for women at patagonia because you know we never sold enough to like we've lost money on the whole oh crotch. man and I still sell I still sew zippers into all my alpine climbing stuff right <laughs> it turns out it works you know so I mean there's definitely we've evolved but I still feel for in in the outdoor world in our world in general I mean just there's there's a lot of room for for progress with um, with what women can bring to the world and, and we need to change the system you know, mm. we're set up we're set up everything's catered to how men operate and we've always tried to just fit in right uh, yeah and, and 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 we are always ending up being a man in a woman's clothing like if if we run a, a corporation or if we run the alpine club or it's like because the process the system is locked in it's like we don't get to change that system and i and i you know kudos to patagonia that's where i learned a lot of this because you know, Schnard didn't give a flying F about any what anyone thought. And it, it was clear to him, it's like, well, we need a day, you know, or Melinda it's like, we need a daycare and we need flex schedules and we need healthy, organic food. And we, you know,
2: <laughs> things yeah, that
1: still don't and so once, once I feel like once women are able to, I don't know, maybe it's just a force of numbers when we finally stand up like the women's movement and we say it's enough is enough. Like, we have to change the way things work, you know, from politics to the business world to how we develop product. And that's the bigger vision, right? But who knows?
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's a great question. What is your what is your vision for Broad Beta? I mean, I know you have a pretty sizable team. Um, is this something that is your career right now or that you're hoping becomes your career? And what is your larger vision for it?
1: Yeah. Career. I don't even like using that word. I mean, I guess I've had a career because I've done something uh, that has evolved in the similar, you know, industry my whole life, right? Developing product in the outdoor industry. So I've been really fortunate. I've I've been able to work in a field that's my passion. and I loved it forever.
0: Is broad Um, beta your job? I guess that's what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. So yeah, no, exactly. So, so, So COVID hit, whatever. I was in a space where i could start this so it's so right now it's my full-time thing okay um i say full-time knowing that what we just talked about earlier is that i'm obviously outside a lot
0: (laughs) (laughs) a climber's full-time yeah i did it
1: (laughs) full-time it would probably progress a lot faster (laughs) yeah i hope to monetize this just enough to to really like have the momentum keep going the way i feel like it's starting so every time someone gets introduced we just did a a live broadcast event, we call them, at the Ice Festival here in Bozeman, and we had six women speak. And uh, there's so much there I could share with you. It was it was so impactful. I mean, just such different walks of life that spoke there, and to uh, you know, hundred hundred other women and gender queer folks. And it just was it was really powerful, you know. And I so I know there's something here. Like I know there's everyone who kind of finds us is like, whoa, this is really needed. Like really enjoy this, but. You know we're competing online with a billion different hits that people get to look at stuff, and so that's. And I'm a luddite. I don't even. (laughs) The last thing I should be starting is is a a virtual business, right? An online, an online internet business. But um, I don't think of it as a business. It's just a community, and eventually we're going to make it even more interactive, and folks can share their ideas of gear reviews or their feedback on a piece of gear, so that that goes out as testimonials to other women and we can all kind of have that information. So yeah, I would love it to just support me and all the women who are so excited and all those who are volunteering and some of those who we pay who we need to pay more. <laughs> just just to help it grow. Mm-hmm. You know, just to keep it going. It's like the internet. I mean, you know, there's it doesn't come for free. Like <laughs> Right. You know, none of these things on the internet that are free. I mean, somebody's paying whether it's ads and companies giving you ads or whatever. So as you mentioned to me and you were an inspiration saying, you know, you stuck with the podcast thing. It's take, took you a couple of years and you gave up an engineering career to, to do this, but you're, you were so inspired and, and you're, you're living in a van. So you're maybe not a millionaire off it, but you're making a living and you really love doing it. And I, that's a great inspiration for Leslie and I. That was so wonderful to hear. Cause it's like, no, let's, let's stick with this. And I'm in a position in life. I can, but I can't forever do it, you know, without monetizing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone of us who are making it happen. Yeah. So my hope that we would do this, it's my hope that it could lead to collaboration on product with some companies.
0: Oh cool. Very because cool.
1: That's my main passion is is seeing that, you know, fabrics and products and for women and what's needed. And I still see so many opportunities, even though there's so much more developed these days, but there's still openings for stuff to be done better. And so I would love us to be able to have all this information from our community share it with a company who really cares to make stuff that works for women climbers and skiers in a better way and collaborate on that
0: awesome i love it where can people find broad beta and how can they support broad beta if they um if they have the means to
1: yeah thanks um broadbeta.com if you go sign up for our newsletter we only send it out you know, a couple times a month, but then you'll know when the new stories are there and the new podcasts. Um, you can get it, our podcast, Broad Beta Podcast, anywhere. You can find your other podcasts. Um, Broad Beta at Broad is our Instagram handle, and so you know, just getting on our newsletter and on our Instagram um, helps us tremendously to know who's out there and share the share the word, and and then for me to hopefully share with these companies the value of this and get them involved, which will only help all of us because I think there's so much there we can do together. Same with sharing with other, other, all the other groups that are doing things for women and genderqueer folks right now, there's so many good ones, organizations that we're looking to share their information and, and likewise. Um, so yeah, and then uh, anyone who wants to volunteer or write stories, just email us, um, broadbeta at gmail.com. If you have a story to tell, we'd be so excited to share it. Oh, that's awesome! For ideas, for, ideas for our gear reviews, and I mean, we want—we mainly we want your stories, or or we'd love to interview you if you don't like to write.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. I will link to all the things Broad Beta um, in the show notes for this episode, Jeannie. We just knocked out more than more than ninety minutes. We just did like an hour and forty-five. How are you doing? <laughs> Okay. We'll wrap up. We'll, we'll wrap up. I want to, uh, Unless I want to
1: have a really pending, like crazy question. You just didn't get answered. That. <laughs> I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed our conversation, but
0: Me, me too. Enough for our viewers. Me too. I want to, I want to tie up a couple of quick loose ends. I'll, I'll keep it quick and we'll wrap up here. You touched on the menopause thing for people that want to hear more about that. Jeannie wrote a great article about her experience going through menopause. There's a line in there that I thought was so brilliant. Uh, it just says menopause is hell. It also made me a better climber. So if that doesn't entice you, I don't know what would. Um, but yeah, we we don't have time to get into it here, but I will link to that article that she wrote for Outside Magazine in the show notes as well.
1: It's also on climbing online.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, I'll find it. Um, I started this conversation by asking you what chapter in your life you're at now. What do you think the next chapter of your life will be? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: No. <laughs> I'm such a planner. Like, I'm a huge planner, right? Yeah. And I don't even want to think about it because I weigh, I let the climate change and all these things weigh too heavily on me. Um, even, even now, the weight of like wanting to help do so much more with broad beta, with with trans folks and genderqueer folks and indigenous folks and those on the margins who've been, you know, like, I think as a woman, we've, we've been on the margins. And then I realized, Oh my God, I've had it so good. Even as a woman, mm-hmm. all, this, all the challenges I have versus the men I grew up with, it's nothing right compared to them. So there's just so much to be done. And I think the main thing I'm trying to do in my life is just be present where I am and take the next step. So, yeah, I, I'm trying hard not to think too
2: much. All right.
1: Like that next phase. Yeah. I, I hope, like you said, I'm, I'm climbing and enjoying life in the mountains well into my 70s or
0: 80s. Oh, I'm sure you will be. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's a great answer. I, I love to end with this question. This is my last one, I promise. What is something that you wish people spent more time thinking about? As a way of kind of just closing our conversation, does, does anything come to top of mind for you?
1: how to see the world through someone else's lens love that because until we do that we'll never have compassion and empathy and want to feel like we're equal to every living thing Hmm. and that it has as much value you know the old growth trees in, in bc and and the people in ukraine or russia or trans folks yeah right it's just pretty hard to do but awaken something in all of us. That's important. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. That hits right close to home. I I think you're already helping us all do that by sharing the stories that you're sharing. And hopefully, um, you and I are helping do that right now, helping people look through your lens a little bit. Um, people that, that don't know you and have gotten to know you through this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Jeannie. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've, I've really loved it. And, um, I know you're not someone who sits still for two hours very often, so <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for giving me so much of your time.
1: I mean, the best thing about Broad Data is, it, is it's led me to meet people like you and learn what you're doing and get inspired, you know, by, by all of what you've brought to the, to the climbing world or the world at large. It's, yeah, it's awesome. So I really appreciate being on your show and appreciate what you do.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate you being here. It's an honor to have you on. Um, I'm excited to see how this thing continues to grow and what you build. And for everyone listening, once again, I will link to all things broad beta in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. For this episode, you can find all of the links right there in your podcast app. And until next time, thanks again for listening.
2: Shake it up Stop on the clock It's 13 Sing 1, 2, 3, 4 Cause No one can do it Like we do it Like we do it Like we do it Cause no one can do it Like we do it Like we do it Like we do it Cause no one can do it Like we do it Like we do it Like we do it Cause no one can do it Like we do it Like we do it Like we do it Like we do it